Let's give God praise for what's happening with our young people, our middle schoolers. If that's what they're doing out there, y'all want to just close up shop and go out there right now and be with them? Man, that's awesome, isn't it? We love Pastor Josh Overton and uh, Brooke and uh, that little one on the way and uh, Pastor Jared and Amanda and their new little one. My boys are busy, aren't they? (laughs) And uh, I just uh, thank God for what I see happening uh, among our youth. Uh, The wonderful... um, it's just, I'm just at such a great time in my personal ministry, uh, having been a pastor since I was 19 years old, which is way too early to be a pastor. I should have um, sat under another pastor for several years before trying to pastor my own church. But back in that day, there just wasn't a lot of um, associate pastors and staff people and that kind of thing. So I went Uh, I was actually in Bible college preparing for the ministry and a church came open and they needed me there, so they sent me there. And uh, wow, that was an awakening for me. But um, I I just uh, thank God, you know, I'm I'm at a place in my life now where just the staff of our church that surrounds uh, me, um, they get it. They get what we're doing here. They understand the vision, and they have bought into it uh, wholeheartedly. And uh, um, for me to get with Josh and to get with Pastor Jared and and to get with Scott and Sherry and to get with uh, Pastor Jeremy and sit down with those guys and just tell them what's in my heart, and then my leadership style is to just back away from them and let them be who God called them to be. And that's been happening in just an amazing, amazing way. And uh, I just feel so blessed. I guess I just needed to share a testimony tonight about how much I love my staff and appreciate um, uh, their, their level of excellence. And, and they stretch me on excellence, man. I, I used to think uh, nobody got it but me, and now they're like, uh, Pastor, do you get what we're doing here? I go, yes, sir, absolutely. I, you've lead me. And... Uh, and uh, just love the, uh, another thing that I think is really important, I'm gonna preach in just a minute, so don't count this against my preaching time. I'm just talking right now. And um, one of the things I just love uh, about our church is the fact that we have men like Josh and Jared and, and Pastor Jeremy and uh, some of these younger guys, Pastor Andrew just came on and took our children's ministry. And to hear them in staff meeting and to hear their perspective on things and understand that I'm 55 in October. That's October 16th too, and I've got all my sizes written down on a card if you want to pick a little something up. But uh, don't forget I'm back at Bojangles too. And I like Starbucks. Okay, and um, I just wanted to say, you know, that that um, atmosphere in our staff meetings of, of, of the guys who have been on the team a long time, we seasoned citizens who are on the, on the staff, and then those young guys coming in with new ideas and fresh ideas, and, and uh, I tell you, it's just a great time in our church. It's a wonderful, wonderful time uh, to be the pastor of Whitley Church, and uh, I want to thank you, I want to thank you for following our leadership. I want to thank you for allowing us to lead you. Um, I have been going around uh, Eastern North Carolina. Last week I was in, um, let's see, where was I last week? Uh, 
Oh, let's see. Monday night I was in Tarboro with some pastors and church leaders talking about Whitley Church and the bridge. And, and then on Tuesday night I was in, uh, was I in Wilson Tuesday night? Anyway, uh, Eastern North Carolina, I've been in Wilson, uh, Wallace. I was in Wallace, uh, the Wallace area on Tuesday night. And then on Thursday night I was in uh, Wilson. And this coming week, on Monday night, I'll be in um, the Moorhead City area talking to pastors and church leaders. And on Tuesday night, I'm somewhere else. And Thursday night, I'm somewhere else. And I can't remember where those places are right now. But they are hungry to learn what God has done here in this church. And uh, I cannot tell you what an honor that is for me uh, so I need to take every one of you with me because, you know, they're looking at me like, what did you do? And I'm like, man, I just did like that much and everybody else did that much. And, and that's why God has blessed us so much. And our, our greatest days, I, I don't say this as a motivational statement or to try to get you, I believe that our best days aren't here yet. Our greatest days as a church haven't even come yet. I think for the past 21 years, that's what God's been doing is laying this foundation. And I think the next years, if the Lord doesn't return, will be the best years of this church's existence. And uh, I just feel so blessed to be here at this particular time. And thank you all so much again for letting us lead you. One of the things I was gonna say is that one of the, strat one of the um, uh, concerns, I hate to say complaints, but one of the concerns that I hear from pastors is you know, the church won't trust me to lead them. And, and a lot of times, guys, uh, that is not the church's fault. Sometimes that is the, the pastor's fault because pastors go into a church. Like when I came to Whitley, there were 69 people here. And a lot of times they'll come into a church and all they're doing is looking for something bigger and better. And so they leave every two years or three or four years and move up to something. So those churches have had to assume the vision for the church. Y'all with me? They've had to assume the leadership of the church. And they, the, the reason a lot of times congregations don't trust pastors is because they don't know if they're going to stay with them or not. And uh, you all have the opposite problem. You can't run me off. And, uh, and so I talked to those pastors about that. I said, I said, guys, you gotta convince them that you're not looking for the next better thing. Uh, I said, because those deacons, if they feel like you're gonna leave them, they've gotta be the leaders. They gotta be the visionaries of the church because they're gonna always be there and they need to know you're gonna commit to that place. So, so uh, uh, as I talk to them and, and as I have uh, feedback from them and interaction with them, it just makes me so thankful for you. It makes me so thankful for you. I just love you guys so much and thank you so much. I am so honored uh, to be your pastor and I just wanted to say that to you tonight. Well, um, guys, you gotta sign up for the vision gatherings. They're coming up. Uh, they start one week from tomorrow. One week from tomorrow is when they start. You, know, you say, have I got to come to three? I had somebody ask me this. I got to come three nights in a row? No, it's the same event three times so we can get everybody in, so we can get everybody in. And so tonight, as you are exiting, you can sign up. If you have not signed up for a vision gathering, you can sign up. Now, let me make something really, really clear. You do not have to be a member of this church. If you are just interested in this church, 
and you're kind of feeling like God may be leading you to come here, you need to come to a vision gathering. You need to come to the vision gathering. Hey, listen, the bishops are serving. You ought to come to the vision gathering just to get the food. So before you leave tonight, please, please, please look at the date that is most convenient for you and sign up for the vision gathering for this coming Sunday night, not tomorrow night, but the, a week from tomorrow night, 25th Sunday night, 26th Monday night, 27th Tuesday night. We'll be making the same presentation. Pick the night that is best for you and get in one of the vision gatherings. When you come to the vision gathering, I think some of you may be nervous. Don't bring your checkbook. Don't bring one penny of money with you. All we want to do is talk to you about where we're going, where we're going. We w- we're not going to be um, sort of uh, sly and sneaky about getting you to a vision gathering dinner, uh, vision gathering dinner and then hit you up for money. We're not going to do that. We're going to present where we believe God's leading us. We're going to challenge you, and then we want you to just leave and pray and ask God what he would have you do, what kind of commitments he would have you to make to get our church to that new dimension in him. And the people said... Amen, amen. All right. Giving life by giving Christ. Have y'all heard about this? (laughs) Giving life by giving Christ? Man, I got to tell you something. I uh, have been able to drive a lot and be by myself quite a bit and and be able to spend some time in prayer and just really thinking about uh, what God has put in our heart. And this is so important that we get hold of this because God is clarifying the vision of our church. Um, you know, sometimes you can see the vision, but there's some fog in there. And, and I just kind of see the fog being lifted and, and getting a crystal clear vision of what God wants us to be. Again, as I've said before, we're looking at the biblical foundation, the core values, the theological basis for what drives Whitley Church and what drives the bridge. We're looking at what we do and why we do it the way we do it, um, you know, if we want to be described as a life-giving church, then it's really important that we understand what the characteristics of a life-giving church are. So the subtitle for this sermon series is 10 Qualities of a Life-Giving Church. And uh, let's look at the first one. We've already talked about it. If you are a life-giving Christian that creates a life-giving church, uh, then you are going to understand that you're on a mission. You're on a mission. It's not about religion. It's not about attending a certain number of services. It's not about putting a certain amount of money in the plate. Uh, It's not about religious activity, religious events. It is about a mindset that says, I am an ambassador of Christ. I am on a mission. He has called me to do something. Well, in order to clarify that mission and for us to know what our mission is, then we have to look at what Jesus' mission was because we are now his body. We are called over and over again in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, we are called the body of Christ. So we want to look at what his body did when he was here in bodily form. And he said in in John 10.10, He said, the reason I left heaven and came to earth, the purpose, the mission that made me come, leave heaven and come to earth was so that I could give life and give it to the full or give it abundantly or uh, give it in all its fullness. So if that was Jesus' role, then that is our role to be life givers. Number two, uh, we talked about the fact that if you are a life-giving Christian, 
then that's gonna make us a life-giving church, and the next quality is that we understand that being a life-giving Christian is a lifestyle, it is not a set of beliefs. We talked about the fact that we do need to know the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I got an email today from another uh, staff member at a different church, and I know he had been on our website looking at uh, the fact that we refer to ourselves as a missional church. And he had read an article uh, that said missional churches are unsustainable. They're not going to make it. And I thought, how is that true when Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? That's That's what the word missional means. There's some new words out. Let me just throw these at you, and I didn't mean to preach on this, but I I just want to mention this to you. There's some some new words being thrown out, and we've talked about them before a few weeks ago. Attractional, which means we want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. How many of you know it's important to people who who come to church to know that the church is going to answer questions they're asking? Amen. I mean, a preacher might preach and walk down and go, that was awesome. And the congregation is going, what was he talking about? You want to know how to live, don't you? You want to know how to live. You want to know how to treat people when you leave here tonight, when you go to the restaurant tonight, when you, when you do whatever it is you're going to do. How am I going to keep my marriage together? How am I going to get out of debt? How am I going to uh, parent these kids I got uh, when, and not go to prison? How, <laughs> how do I live the Christian life? So the church has to be attractional in the sense that our environments are welcoming, but also our message is relevant. And, and I think another thing that makes a church attractional is creativity, being creative. So attractional is a word. Well, there are people who say that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. That we shouldn't try to make Jesus relevant. We should just preach Jesus. And I love what Mark Driscoll said. Mark Driscoll said, we don't have to make Jesus relevant. That's not our job as a church to make Jesus relevant. Our job as a church is to show that he is relevant. Amen, amen. He is relevant. So when you hear criticism and you're going to hear it and you go online, believe me, there's all kinds of criticism online about churches who do church the way we do and have the attractional aspect of church. Um, they're, they're being really criticized about that. Um, my whole point when I talked about that earlier was So you're saying that the more boring it is and the plainer it is, the more spiritual it is? I got to tell you, I grew up in some of that. (laughs) Amen. I grew up in some of that, that the plainer you are, you know, no makeup. I grew up in, any of y'all grow up, no makeup, don't cut your hair. Uh, I I grew up, (laughs) some of y'all are going to go, whoa, this is crazy. I grew up wearing necktie was ornamentation, so you didn't wear a necktie. Now, I'm for that one. I got to tell you, <laughs> that one, I didn't understand it then, but I'm all for it. Now, here, here's what I'm saying. We, we just become legalistic, and, and we say, well, the Holy Spirit does it. The Holy Spirit does it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nowhere in the Bible that God says, make it as boring as you can make it, and that makes it more spiritual. That's something somebody made up. So attractional is important. Missional is important because to me, all that missional means is that we don't only come to church and and dance around and shout and learn, 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 but we actually 
Go do it. And do you know that's being criticized? As a matter of fact, the email that I got today was a criticism, this guy had read an article that was a criticism of missional churches. And here's what the concern was. That missional churches, are y'all with me? Can I preach on this? That missional churches, churches that go out, because tomorrow we're going to the prison, and Pastor, Pastor uh, Jeremy was up here talking about, uh, you know, community day, and, and uh, uh, the Bible says that the church back in the New Testament had favor in the community, favor in the community, and that's all we're doing. When we hook up with the, with the Red Cross, when we hook up with the city, when we hook up with the mayor, when we hook up with the county, when we hook up with the soup kitchen, you know what we're saying? We want to say to our community, guys, we're not so in some holy huddle over here in Princeton, North Carolina, like David Koresh. I mean, when you drive up on our property, it looks like we got a little David Koresh thing going on right back here. But it's not that. That's our Royal Ranger thing out there. We're not, we, listen, man, we, we want to be a part of our community, don't we? And we want to demonstrate the love of Jesus in our community. And we don't want to have this, this mindset that says the church is always, you never hear from the church unless they go, man, we really need you to give us something. Man, I don't want that reputation. I want to show up at the mayor's office and instead of him rolling his eyes going, wonder what this church wants, I want us to walk in and, and him get a big old smile on his face because he knows we're there to serve the city. Amen? Y'all with me on that? That's missional. So the concern in this article was that if we're missional, then we're going to get away from the gospel. No, 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 no. Being missional is about fulfilling the gospel. And, and the, his major concern, this writer, was that being missional is gonna cause us to not be disciple-making, that we're gonna have a bunch of Christians who are working real hard in the community, but they're all real shallow in their walk with God. And, and so this guy was asking me, you know, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? And I said, well, what we believe at Whitley Church is really that serving is a part of becoming a deeper disciple. Not just the learning, not just the classrooms, not just the, the D1, D2, D3, D4, and experiencing God class that's going on in here on Wednesday night that Pastor uh, Andy is doing and, and some other classes we're gonna be adding here before too long. Uh, um, it's, it's not just about learning, but it is about doing. And that, is, that really uh, is what I wanted to say here about the lifestyle part that we've already talked about, is that we believe in doing the word, not just agreeing with it, saying amen to it, and you know, giving ourselves badges and stars and trophies because we learned this and completed that class. I'm all about completing classes and learning, getting all the training we can get, but you know, when are we gonna use this? Well, I mean, what are, what are we learning all this for? I, I, I gotta tell you, the more you learn, the more you're accountable for doing. So I don't want to stand before God with a bunch of Sunday school pins dragging the ground about all the classes I went to. And I'm not against that. If you got that, I'm very happy for you. Um, certificates on the wall and all that stuff, that's all great. But if, you know, man, I started to say the stupidest thing. I started to say, if I'm God, but I won't say that. But you might, if, if, I, if I was looking at that, I'd be going, wow, you got a lot of knowledge. You got a lot of knowledge. I got a question for you. What did you do with all that knowledge? Amen. I mean, that's pretty big stuff right there. You see, 
life-giving churches have a bias toward not just information, but action, action. We want to be known for doing. What do you think, what do you think gets the attention of unchurched and de-churched people? You know what a de-churched person is? Is somebody who used to go, got slammed, and said, I'm never going back to church again. Of course, none of y'all have ever been slammed in church, so maybe you don't even know what I mean, but unchurched people never been to church, de-churched people, some who have been, but it sure wasn't church, it was more, you know, a carnal thing, and so they got hurt, and they're de-churched, they're not in church right now, and, and, and as we reach out to them, can I ask you something? What do you think is going to get their attention the most? What we say, or what we do? It's going to be what we do that gets the attention of the unchurched. It's going to be what we do that causes that person who said, I'll never go back to church again to go, all right, I'll give it another try. It's what we do that makes them do that. So, so you know what? Just let them criticize all they want to criticize. We're just going to do God's will around here and stand before God one day and hear him say, well done, and then we'll look behind us at them and go, nah. No, no, that would be wrong. That would be wrong. But it did, I did think about maybe doing that. <laughs> I'd probably get this star in my crown, turn around and go, nah, and Jesus go, give me that one back. Give me that one back. Um, do, y'all, do y'all think Saturday night is like a special time at our church? I mean, do you really? I just think Saturday night is different. I just think Saturday night is good and awesome. And there's just an atmosphere here on Saturday night that I just love. I just love. And uh, it, it just seems like there's... Um, you know, the congregation, of course, is smaller. I don't want that to keep up. As a matter of fact, we'd like for people on Sunday morning, more of them to come to this service. I tell you what would really help me if you guys would encourage the Sunday morning people to come on Saturday night morning. I know some of you guys kind of switch back and forth, and that's fine. But if our church is going to keep growing until we get the new building built, we've got to get more people here on Saturday night to open up those seats on Sunday morning. But I love the Saturday night service. I love it. And I love you guys for being here and our media team and music. They're all here way before me and they're probably going, you know, you might love it, Pastor, but it's killing us. I don't know. They haven't said that, but I, I just love uh, the, the Saturday night service. Then last week we said that the third quality of a life-giving Christian, which creates a life-giving church, is that we are to help people find their gift and operate in their gift. We referred to it last week as the sweet spot. We want you ministering in your sweet spot. Now, this past Wednesday night, we started our D2 class, but there was a little bit of, of um, that class didn't go as smoothly as we wanted it to. There was a, a fundraiser dinner, and then uh, um, uh, Jeff needed some stuff he didn't have and all of that. So, so don't give up on that class. If you were in that class Wednesday night, I promise you this coming Wednesday night, it's going to be better. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, we're going to be more prepared and ready to roll on that class. So don't give up on that class. It's very, very, very important. It will be different this Wednesday night. But the lifestyle that God wants us to live is built around our God-given gifts. 
The lifestyle God wants us to live is built around our God-given gifts and abilities and talents and experiences and uh, around our heart and our, and our personality and all of that. And, and um, uh, Jeff will teach you those things. And then we concluded with a, a balancing thought that says, yes, we want to minister in the area of our sweet spot, but in order for our church to advance, we always are ready to give our heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. Do you remember that? So my sweet spot is up here. But if the chairs need to be rearranged and we need to set up tables and turn this into a banquet room, guess what Pastor Farrell does? Pastor Farrell becomes a table setter upper and a chair mover arounder because that is the greatest demand at that moment. Now, I don't operate in that all the time, but there are just times when I have to step out of my sweet spot and give my heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. And the people said, now, Jesus said, if we do that, we will never have to worry about functioning in our sweet spot because when he sees that servant spirit in us willing to set up chairs and clean toilets or mop floors or whatever we have to do, when he sees that sweet uh, um, um, servant spirit in us, then he says, I'm gonna open doors for you to be faithful in the bigger stuff. Amen, amen? That's good teaching right there, okay? Teacher's a little hard to look at, but still good teaching. Number four, number four, one we wanna talk about tonight, and I'm gonna keep it brief, and I got a little video for you at the end. Number four, um, the fourth quality of a life-giving Christian that creates a what? Life-giving church is that we are good stewards or managers of the resources God puts in our hand. Now, when a pastor says stewardship, everybody goes, what? Money. Money, money, money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody thinks, you know, pastor says stewardship, pastor's going to talk about money, okay? Um, a life-giving attribute uh, towards stewardship uh, includes but far exceeds the topic of money. It far exceeds the topic of money. Let's talk about stewardship. The synonym for stewardship, when you look it up in the dictionary, is the word management, Manage. Stewardship means, stewardship means that you manage well what has been put in your hands. You manage well what has been given to you, or really when it comes to God, really when it comes to anything, what has been loaned to you. Now, I'm going to say something here. just so you'll get it, you came into this world naked, you will leave it the same way. (laughs) I know you're out there, when he starts saying the word naked, I never know where he's going, I never know where he's going. Um, I heard about this guy who was real, real, real tight wad, and uh, he came time for him to die, and he told them to go put all his money in the attic. And when he died, he was going to grab it on his way up to heaven. And, and he died. And they all ran up in the attic and the money was still there. And somebody said, I told you we should have put it in the basement. I told you. Um, 
<laughs> you're not going to take any with you. We act like we are, though, don't we? We act like we're actually going to keep this stuff. We're all got, it's got my name on it down there at the court. I, I don't care if it's got your name on it at the courthouse. You're going to leave it for somebody when you leave here. You are not going to take it with you. It, 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 you're going to go back out of this world the same way you came into this world with no thing, with nothing. It's been loaned. Life-giving stewardship. Now, we talked about what stewardship is, but we're talking about being life-giving. So what is life-giving stewardship? Here's what life-giving stewardship is. Life-giving stewardship simply means that you are allowing God to help you thoroughly and wisely use or manage what he has put in your hands so that you might be life-giving your entire existence on this earth. Let me say it again. Life-giving stewardship simply means that you are allowing God to, to help you because you don't know how to, you don't know where to give. You don't know the best places to give your time and the best places to give your energy and the best places to give your knowledge and the best places to give your money and the best places to give your talent and the best places to give your service. And so you need to be in fellowship, intimate fellowship with him because he will help you to thoroughly and wisely use or manage what he put in your hands. Listen, listen, anything you have in your hands that is good, he put there. All good things come from the Lord. He put them in your hands, and the reason he put them in your hands is so that you might use the things he put in your hands to be life-giving while you're on this earth for a very short time. We gotta get this. We are on this earth a very short time. What am I to be a wise manager of? Well, let me just mention a few things. God has given you a lot of things and you are to be good stewards, good managers of everything he's put in your hand. Let's just mention a few. Health, intellect, experiences you've had, money, resources, talents, abilities, spiritual gifts. Here's one of the most valuable things he's put in your hand is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest tool he's put in your hand and God expects you to be a good steward or manager of all of this stuff. And what we have to remember is this. It all belongs to him. Everything you possess is not your own including yourself, because the Bible says you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. When he died on the cross, he purchased you. Not only do you not own your stuff, you don't own you. Now what that means is, 
that everything we possess is loaned to us. It's not ours to do as we please. Everything is on loan to us so that he can watch from heaven and see what you do with it. Now, I'm not gonna preach from this scripture. I'll put it up on the screen at the end of my sermon, but there's a passage in Matthew 25 that is a perfect parable of this where the master gives talents to his servants, leaves, just like Jesus has ascended into heaven, and then he comes back, just like Jesus is gonna come back, and he's gonna, and he asks them, what did you do with the talents I gave you? which is exactly what Jesus is gonna do when he comes. Now, it doesn't, that judgment, and we're talking eschatology here a little bit, end times, that judgment doesn't have anything to do with whether you'll get into heaven or not, because good works have nothing to do with your salvation. Amen, amen, amen. We are saved by grace. We are saved by mercy. However, if you are genuinely saved, if Jesus has come into your heart, then works, good deeds, are going to be a byproduct of the relationship you have with Jesus. So much so that we learned last week, I believe it was last week or maybe the week before, yeah, the week before, that if you have no good works, James said, then I'm not sure you have faith in Jesus. Now, I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. James says, if there are no good works in your life, then the people in your fellowship, the people in your circle of, of fellowship as Christians have every right to look at you and wonder if you really know Christ. That's pretty strong right there, isn't it? And I know y'all don't need it, but I'm practicing for tomorrow, because that crowd tomorrow, man, they need it bad, so I'll be preaching it pretty strong tomorrow. So, so everything we possess is loaned to us, and then he watches us in our short time on the earth to see how we manage all this temporary stuff. Because how we manage what he puts in our hands reveals our it reveals who we really are, guys. It reveals our true attitude toward him. God doesn't really care what you say about him, especially if your heart doesn't match what you say. I heard somebody say this, and I think it's so true. You can tell me what's a priority in your life all you want to, but all I need to do is look at your calendar and your checkbook, and I know what's a priority in your life. Amen, amen. Is that true about Pastor Pharaoh? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we manage what he puts in our hands and what we do with what he puts in our hands reveals our attitude toward him and our attitude toward his word. Life-giving people that make life-giving churches live with a sense of stewardship over everything God has provided for them. Let's read Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look what, look what Paul says. So be careful how you live. Be care I see a lot of people that aren't really careful about how they live, don't you? Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of how many opportunities? in these evil days. Do you think that verse applies to today? <laughs> Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Look what he says in verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly. Think about 
your money. Think about your time. Think about your talent. Think about your energy. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the, not Farrell Hardison, not Whitley Church or the bridge, not any person, but understand what the, everybody say it, Lord wants you to do. Let's go to Romans and look at another verse there and then we'll close this out. Romans 14, 12 through 13. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, the book of Romans was written to Christians. So Paul isn't saying to them, um, I don't know if you're gonna make it to heaven or not. He knew these people were going to make it to heaven. Why? Because they were doing great things? No, because they had trusted Jesus Christ to be the bridge that would get them back in fellowship with God. So he's not talking to them about whether they're gonna get to heaven or not. He's talking to them about what they're gonna do since they became a Christian. Since you became a Christian, what have you done? Because it's really important, he says, because you're gonna give an account to God one day for what you did. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any longer but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Uh, There's a lot to be preached right there. What Paul is basically saying is, um, yes, words will make people stumble, but your actions or lack of actions is what they really see that can make them stumble. Stewardship or management of all that God has given us is of supreme importance because one day we're gonna individually stand before Jesus Christ and he is gonna look at us. And the reason I wanna make this so elementary tonight and preach this so clearly is because as I've said to you many times before, I do not wanna stand before God one day and God look at me and go, you know, you were the pastor of Whitley Church and I really blessed that church for, for, for my glory and allowed you to be the pastor. Why didn't you tell them that one day they were gonna to answer to me, not just for the fact of whether they had received me into their heart, but what they did for me after they received me. Why didn't you tell them that? I don't want God to look at me and say, why didn't I tell you that? I, I mean, I know some preachers that are probably gonna hear that and they're gonna look at God and go, well, I was afraid they would leave the church or I was afraid they would get angry or I was afraid they wouldn't like what I say. Guys, I can't base my preaching on that because I love you all very much. I've already told you how much I love you tonight, but I'm not gonna stand before you and give an account of my ministry. I'm gonna give an account to him. So when I stand up here and preach things that pinch a little bit, or downright hurt sometimes and almost make you want to get mad at me, just remember, I'm the mailman. And the stuff that I bring to you, I have to bring, he brings it to me. The message is for all of us. You've heard me talk about this accountability thing many times because it's a reoccurring theme all through the scripture that one day we will stand before God and he will say, what did you do with what I gave you? I like what one preacher said. I think it's Rick Warren said, the final exam for Christians has only one question on it. What did you do with what I gave you? That's the only question on the final exam. So if, listen now, follow me, stay with me. If that's the only question on the final exam, then don't you think one of the purposes of the church, 
ought to be to help you get ready for the final exam? Yes, yes. It is the job of the church to preach this message that I'm preaching to you tonight. It is the job of the church then to help you get ready to stand before the Lord one day and say, these are the things I did after I accepted you as personal savior. These are the things I did. That's why we have all of these various events going on that you can volunteer for and get involved in and give life and be Jesus and demonstrate the love of Jesus. And then we say to you, if you don't want to hook up with a team, and we hope you will at some point hook up with a team, we'll give you a little just because card and you can go be a one-man team and give some life to somebody. Hope you guys are using those cards. I've had a bunch of reports coming in about people using the cards. I, one, one report I heard uh, this week was a lady went into Target, bought a, a gift card, I don't know how much it was for, and she put one of our Just Because cards with it, went back out in the parking lot, and there was a car with the window down about that much, and she just flipped it in the car. What a blessing! What a blessing, you know? And what would be really cool is just to find the poorest, most run-down piece of junk car out there. Of course, then again, if you find a really, really nice car, it might help that guy too, because he probably can't afford the payment. So you'd be a blessing to him as well. Amen, amen. So if that's the only question for the final, we as a church have got to get you ready to answer that question. Because here's what I want to do. Here's what the job of this church is. Listen to me. The job of this church is to set you up for success. The job of this church is to position you so that when you stand before God on the last day, you look at God and go, here's all the stuff I did because my church was, man, doing stuff to help people and, and bless people all the time. And you know what I think? I think we're not doing anything to what we're going to be doing. I mean that. I really mean that. Uh, the church does this by teaching everyone that we're going to live. We got to live with that sense of stewardship. We got to teach it. You got to use it wisely what God's put in your hands so that when you stand before the Lord, you can give the right answer. Now, um, one of the things I've noticed most uh, in a lot of Christians or noticed in a lot of Christians is uh, the lack of an eternal perspective. This is what messes you up. This is what messes us up, guys. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I promise, promise, promise. I am right at the end of my sermon, so don't tune me out here. We've got to get an eternal perspective. Now, I'm going to do something I've done a bunch of other times when I've preached, so, but I've got to keep reminding you. Do you know what a timeline is? Have you ever seen a timeline in a history book, and it shows you what happened in you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and, and then it shows you what happened on that line. Well, I want you to think of a timeline tonight. And I want you to just picture this timeline starting right here. Let's say creation timeline starts right here and goes that way. Eternity just goes uh, through Pikeville, Fremont, Wilson, it just keeps going, and it circles the earth, and then it laps, and it laps, and it never stops moving, this timeline. Can you just fathom that just a second? Now listen to me, listen, listen. Don't you think about eternity and the fact that compared to eternity, on that timeline, you were on this earth. Can y'all see that? 
little crack right there. That's how long you're on the earth. Does that make any sense? And we put so much emphasis on now. We think so little about eternity. We're freaking out about the election. We're freaking out about all these temporary things. We're freaking out about the economy. And I'm not saying all these things are good news, but listen to me. None of them are a surprise to God. Every one of them are going to pass away. There's an old hymn we used to sing, and I know I'm not going to remember the words, but there's a line in it that says, only what you do for Christ will last. So when you look at stewardship in the light of eternity, why would we wait and say, well, one day I'm going to maximize my life for God. One day I'm going to be obedient. One day I'm going to be life-giving. One day I'm going to do all that. We gotta do it right now because we're here for such a short time. And, and if you'll just let me use this kind of language, God just kind of put you on the earth, gave you a bunch of stuff, and now he's just gonna watch and see what you do with it. And what you do with it affects your forever. I mean, people can't give 10 cents out of every dollar to the church because they are so focused on the now and what they might miss out if they are obedient to God in what they give to the only institution in society that deals with the eternal. So go home. I got some homework for you. I want you to write this down. Homework. And I want you to study Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I want you to study Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I want you to read it. Get it in the message. Get it in the New Living Translation. You know what I'd really love for you to do? Is sit down with your family and read this passage. And everybody just comment on that. Let everybody in the family just talk about it. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. How many of you guys have ever heard of a uh, speaker called Andy Andrews? Anybody ever heard of Andy Andrews? I'm going to show you a little clip. He's closing out. He's given this talk, and he's closing out this talk, and he's talking about what I've been preaching on tonight. And when I saw this clip, I, I, don't, I don't know if the quality is going to be what you usually see in a clip that we have up here because we always strive for excellence. I don't know what this is going to look like exactly, but I told Travis, our media director, I said, Travis, I'm more concerned this time about the content than the quality, so let's show this uh, video. So I want you to listen and watch. This is going to touch your heart. I'm through. Um, but but I, I want to leave you with, I want to leave you with something. I, from me to you, I want to tell you something special. And because I don't know really what the future holds, I feel like I need to make sure that you know that I don't hope you do great things with your life. I, I don't hope you take these seven decisions and, and change your world. And I'll tell you why. Because of my two little boys. Adam and Austin, three-year-old and a five-year-old, with their mama, 
with my wife, those two little boys are the most precious things on this planet to me. I love those little monkeys. And, and I take these boys and every night I smother them with kisses and I spend a little time with each of them. Adam likes to count the stars. The three-year-old, I'll take Adam out and, and we'll go out and I'll say, count the stars, buddy. And I'll hold him and Adam will say, star, 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 star. He'll look at me and say, moon? <laughs> yeah, that's the moon. Another moon, daddy? Nobody. One moon. A lot of stars, a lot of little boys. But there's one moon and one Adam. And I'll take Adam in. I'll put him in the bed. And, and he'll snuggle in. And there'll be Austin. And Austin will be he'll, he'll get all straight. Polly will already put him in bed. He'll get straight because he knows what's coming next. And I'll, I'll say, you ready, buddy? He says, I am. And I'll, I'll go up to Austin and I'll put my hand on his chest. And I'll say, buddy, it's time to check your heart. And I'll say, Austin, did you have a good day? And he'll say, I did. And I'll say, do you know how much Daddy loves you, Austin? He says, I do. I say, do you know how much God loves you? He says, yes, sir. And I say, Austin, is there anything you've done today that you feel like you need to ask forgiveness for? And he'll say, I don't think so. <laughs> And I say, buddy, is there anybody you're mad at, anybody you're upset with, anybody you need to forgive before you go to sleep? And he'll say, no, sir. I say, Austin, are you proud of yourself? He'll say, I am. I say, do you know how, how proud of you daddy is? He says, yes, sir. I say, we're going to have a good day tomorrow? He said, we are. I say, then close your eyes and go to sleep, buddy, because you've got a great heart. I love these little boys. And that is why I would never ever tell you that I hope you do great things with your life. I'm expecting it. Because everything you do matters. Every move you make, every action you take matters not just to you, not just to your family, not just to your, your friends or your hometown. Everything you do matters to me in Orange Beach, Alabama. Because every move you make, every action you take, is creating the world in which my little boys grow up. I'm expecting great things from you. And frankly, you can expect the same thing from me. We're in this together. We should hold each other accountable. Because everything we do matters. And we will make a difference. But the question is, what kind of difference are we going to make? And you already know the answer. The answer is a great one. Thank you, guys. It's been a privilege to be here. Father, help us tonight to understand that everything we do matters. Everything we do matters. And we have to, every one of us, look in the mirror. Yes, the literal mirror that's on maybe the wall in our restroom at home, our bathroom at home, or even more importantly, the mirror of your word. And we have to ask ourselves, is anybody gonna make it to heaven because of me? 
Every husband in here needs to say, is my wife a better Christian because she married me? Or do I make my wife struggle to be the Christian she knows God's calling her to be? Every wife needs to say, am, am I helping my husband be a better Christian? As parents, we have to ask the question, do I care more about the success of my child in this world or do I care more about the success of my child in eternity? Really doesn't matter what we say because our actions speak louder than our words. Father, Start with Farrell Hardison, start with me. I have no right to uh, impose this on any other person, Lord. I don't even have a right to preach it or teach it until I understand that my life was given to me to bring honor to you and to bring glory to you, to reflect you in this world that people might see something in me that they would know it is not natural, it is supernatural. That people would see something in me, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that when people look at it and, and see it, they go, there is a God in heaven. Because only God could do that through Pharaoh. Only God could do that through Scott. Only God could do that through Randy. God, help us to live our lives in such a way, uh, uh, lives of service and humility, lives that are not self-centered, but help us to have your mindset, Lord Jesus. Help us to have the mindset of Paul when that prison fell apart and he could have run for freedom, but instead of running, he looked around to see if there was someone he could bless. Help us have that mindset, Lord. This is the life-giving mindset. This is a mindset that is supernatural because the natural man wars against this mindset. We are selfish at our core. We are self-centered at our core, every single one of us. So in order to defeat that self-centeredness, we have to allow you to be in us supernaturally everything you want to be so that we might put our foot on the neck of that selfishness and be victorious over it. I pray it for me. I see so many flaws in my words and so many flaws in my attitude and so many flaws in my lack of fruits of the Spirit in my life. So start in me and work it in me and help me to be life-giving. Now, Lord, if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know you, they need to understand that their first step in becoming life-giving is to become a Christian. And for them to become a Christian, we understand that your word teaches that we have to say, I need a savior. We have to come to that place where we admit, I can't save myself. I, I can't save myself with good works or good deeds. I need a savior. And I understand that Jesus is the only, one and only true and living savior. And that person needs to turn to you right now in this audience, right now while they're sitting there. They need to just look at you right now and say, Jesus, I've been running from you long enough. I've been doing life my way long enough. I've been having my way and focusing on what I want long enough and it really isn't working out all that well for me. And so Lord, I'm gonna stop running from you tonight. 
And I'm not going to offer any excuses tonight. I'm going to open my heart to you right now. Understanding that your death on the cross was to pay for my sin, not yours. And that your resurrection from the grave was to give me eternal life, not just here, but in heaven forever. And Lord Jesus, I receive the cross of Calvary as my salvation. I receive you resurrected as my new life. I receive you to come into my life and, and, and sit down on the throne of my heart. I've been running me. I've been managing me. I've been directing me long enough. I want you to take over my life tonight. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me in the precious blood that you shed on the cross. Wash all my sins away. And I don't know how to live this thing. I don't know how to, there's a lot I don't understand, Lord. There's a lot about the Bible I don't understand. But I'm gonna serve you. And I'm gonna get in those classes and I'm gonna volunteer to, to be a blessing to other people around me. And I'm gonna quit living my life self-centered and I'm gonna start living my life for you because I know one day you're gonna ask me what kind of manager I was, what kind of steward I was of the things you put in my hands. And tonight, all that changes for me because tonight I've given you my life. With every head bowed and no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer tonight, you made a commitment to Jesus tonight. Maybe you've been running and you've been, you know, kind of self-centered, but tonight you decided, even though you don't really know how to do it all, you don't understand everything, but you made a decision tonight that if this church will help you and God will help you from this night on, you're gonna serve God. Would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? Just slip it up and right back down. Everybody look at me. Let's go out there and be the church. Let's go out there and let Jesus exude from us. Because you know what? They're not gonna come here and hear this message, more than likely. You're the Jesus. You're the only Jesus they see. You're the only sermon they're gonna hear. Go out there and be life-giving. Amen? I love you guys. God bless you. Thank you for coming.